And good morning. Welcome to Talk of the Towns here on this uh, Friday morning. My name is Paul Anderson. I'm uh, stepping in for Ron Beard, who's away this week. Uh, I work with Ron in the uh, University of Maine. I run the Maine Sea Grant program, and it's my pleasure to be here with you bringing uh, today's Talk of the Towns. Our topic today is uh, related to the safety of our swimming beaches along the coast of Maine. And uh, I have several guests in the studio and one guest on the telephone who will help to inform you, the listener, in this discussion about the status of our swimming beaches in Maine and some some really innovative uh, new developments that um, are allowing for some monitoring along our coast, engaging communities in in that activity and helping to ensure that you... Uh, swimmers will know when perhaps that the beaches are safer than not for swimming. Um, indeed, an important issue, potential health ramifications, and um, a great opportunity from, from where I sit at the university to engage communities in some of uh, today's technology and uh, stewardship of our coast. I welcome you to the program. Later in the program, we'll invite your participation, and you'll be able to call us and uh, ask questions of our guests. For the first um, portion of the program, though, I think um, we'll stick with uh, informing you about some of the uh, projects that are going on in this area of the state, as well as uh, nationally, because we have a, a national expert from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency on the phone with us from Boston. We'll introduce everybody now, starting with my studio guests. Um, we have Esperanza Stanchoff. Yes, uh, Esperanza Stanchoff with the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. I'm the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program. Uh, I'm Jana Wood. I'm code officer and plumbing inspector and also Healthy Beaches Manager for the town of Lincolnville, Maine. And um, I'm here because uh, we are a Maine's Healthy Beaches Program participant and have had some success using the pro program. And I'm Jane Disney. I'm the Executive Director at the Mount Desert Island Water Quality Coalition and Coordinator of the Community Environmental Health Laboratory, uh, where we run samples that we take on beaches. Um, we've been a part of the Maine Healthy Beaches program since 2003. And I'm Simone Cromwell. I'm the Watershed Project Coordinator at the Marine Environmental Research Institute in Blue Hill, Maine. Great. And on the telephone, Mel, are you out there? Yes, uh, this is Mel Cote. I'm with, uh, as Paul mentioned, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's New England Regional Office based in Boston. I'm the manager for the Ocean and Coastal Protection Unit uh, at EPA New England. And in addition to administering the um, regional beach monitoring program, we are also, the unit also is responsible for regulating dredge material disposal, vessel sewage, and other wastes. We manage the six national estuary programs here in New England, and we do environmental impact reviews for various federal activities affecting coastal waters and are involved as well in the uh, National Pollutant Discharge Elimination, or NPDES, permits program for marine discharges. Happy to be here, Paul. Great. Well, thank you for joining us, Mel, and uh, we'll get back to you. Certainly, you're on the phone. Difficult for you to um, integrate, perhaps, into the conversation, but please uh, make yourself known when you want to add something in, and we'll come back and and certainly hear your perspective on the regional activities as well as perhaps national developments on this uh, very important issue. I want, yeah, I want first to um, invite Esperanza to talk about the Maine Healthy Beaches program um, and its uh, perhaps a history of it. I know it was a topic on this program maybe a couple of years ago during an earlier um, uh, 
portion of its development, and it's gone great guns since then. So if you could update our listeners on, on the program. Sure. Um, well, the Maine Healthy Beaches program uh, began in 2002, and at that time there were four, I think, four beaches being monitored in, in Maine. Um, and we're in our fifth season now, so we have 46 beaches uh, participating um, in 20 towns and state parks. Um, there was no unified structure for assessment, notification, and education, which is what we have in place through this program. Uh, and I should also state that uh, the funding is from EPA uh, through the 2000 Beach Act that was passed. And we have a lot of support from our Region 1 EPA folks. Um, the last two seasons, um, uh, we've stepped up the program greatly uh, because we have had some problems off of our beaches with the water quality. And we have turned from just simply routine monitoring to find out what was going on in our beaches to a lot more special studies and, and other things that I can talk about later. Okay. Thanks. So the, the, basic, the basic parts of the program are a field component and a laboratory component and then getting those results out right, to the to towns. the public, yeah. Well, uh, to the towns and the public. And we work very closely. It's, a, it's local jurisdiction. Uh, it is not a, um, a state-mandated program, so it's a voluntary program for towns uh, to per and state parks to participate. And, you know, the good news is that we, you know, we've recruited uh, towns each year as we could handle it with our resources, and, you know, we now have a fairly full program. Um, so much of what we've been able to accomplish is, you know, getting people educated, and that's, that's been our, um, you know, one of our priorities since it is a voluntary-type program, and I think we have a lot of resources uh, to bear for that. And I assume we have a collaboration with uh, some of the state agencies participating in at right. least an advisory role, even though it's not a regulatory program. Yeah, we have the, you know, the ABCs of, uh, of state agencies involved. <laughs> I mean, we have everyone from, uh, you know, certainly the management of the program is this, the main coastal program through the state planning office. We have a lot of assistance from the Devi Department of Environmental Protection, Marine Resources, uh, Maine Geological Survey, okay. um, and so forth. Great. Well, that, that's a bit of a construct of that program. An important component is certainly the community involvement, and we'll hear more about that uh, as we go through this discussion. Um, one community that's participating is Lincolnville. Uh, we heard that there's 46 or so beaches along the coast and, and therefore a, a number of communities. Lincolnville is well represented in the program. And, Jana, maybe you can talk about Lincolnville's experience and how you got involved and what's been happening there. Yes. Um in uh, the early part of 2004, we were approached by the Maine State Healthy Beaches Program, and I brought the program to our selectmen for their approval and agreement to participate in the protocols and, the, and um, all of the agreements that go along with that. And uh, right off the bat, we started to experience recognition of uh, some difficulty uh, in Lincolnville. We have a, a brook coming out uh, that feeds our... It's tidal, It's a tidal brook, so that brook seemed to have some uh, dramatic uh, exceedances during the first year. And uh, during the second year of the testing, we uh, went ahead with a uh, shoreland survey um, of about 70 different uh, properties that, that would feed into this watershed area. 
try to study the watershed. And uh, we found that there were six major problems that we could see right, right off the bat. And uh, that illuminated the fact that having the Healthy Beaches program gave us enough information to know that we had to do something. And it's, it's been a really dramatic educational uh, leap uh, of faith for our selectmen, but they, they took our word for it. Esperanza and Carrie Lindbergh has worked with me um, right every week, essentially, um, helping me through this process. We don't have an ordinance in our town that would force closure of the Lincolnville Beach, but we have agreed to post advisories when the bacteria levels are in exceedances of 104 or more uh, colonies. Um, right now, we've only had one beach advisory so far in 2006, and we think that's probably um, because of the record rainfall, okay. which does contribute to that. Okay, before we go too much further, for the benefit of listeners, maybe, Mel, you can help us with some background on um, what it is we're monitoring for. I mean, we, we just heard that we're, we're we're measuring bacterial contamination along the coast. And um, um, so, Mel, maybe from the EPA perspective that, that brought this program or made this opportunity available to the states, you can talk about the, the indicator um, of choice and how uh, there's perhaps this program been enabled through um, some of the technological advances and, and the standards that are being expected from EPA's perspective. Sure, Paul. Um back it up even a little bit further and just to, to uh, give you background on what the Beach Act actually means. Um, Beach Act stand, the Beach Act actually is the Beach Environmental Assessment and Coastal Health Act of 2000. Congress uh, passed that law in response to growing concern about um, health, uh, health issues associated with uh, swimming around the country. And um, the, the Act has some fairly basic requirements. It requires states to adopt um, as part of their state water quality standards uh, bacteria criteria uh, that EPA uh, adopted back in 1986. And uh, just in the past couple of years, all, all 35 coastal states and territories that are subject uh, to the Beach Act have, have adopted those more stringent criteria. Um, it also requires states and, and local uh, beach managers to use consistent monitoring protocols um, to put that monitoring data into a national database that is now available to the public across the country. Um, and it requires, most importantly, beach managers to notify the public of unhealthy uh, conditions. Um, and so the Beach Act is very important in getting everything going, but here in New England, our regional administrator, Bob Varney, um, one of his first initiatives was to uh, push for a Clean New England Beaches, it's, we call it Clean New England Beaches, it's a sure thing, an initiative that is so, sort of go above and beyond the basic requirements of the statute. And by that I mean, you know, we've, once we've identified problems through this enhanced monitoring, as Esperanza mentioned, uh, taking the next step to identify sources of bacteria and try, obviously, to eliminate them. Um, and we've actually had quite a few uh, regional success stories just in the past couple of years as a result of that enhanced monitoring and looking for sources and figuring out ways to eliminate them. Um, when you talk about criteria, um, EPA basically rec has recommended and, in fact, now requires adoption um, 
of criteria using what is essentially an indicator um, bacteria species, enterococcus, um, called enterococcus. And essentially it's, um, it, it's not, a, it really is just an indicator of the potential presence of uh, human pathogens um, and also to some extent uh, other, other animals, warm-blooded animals. And as I said, all, six, all five New England states have since adopted the national EPA's bacteria criteria um, and are all using the same sort of monitoring protocols um, and public notification procedures. Um, so that, that's that on that, Paul. That's great. Thank you for that background. Um, so the, the health risk associated with um, human sewage or I, I guess even animal um, feces in the water is, is what? What are, what are we talking about that swimmers might experience if they swam in contaminated water like that? Do you want that, Esperanza? Sure. Well, there are a number of things that can uh, waterborne illnesses that, that come from viruses, protozoas, and, and other bacteria, and um, things like Vibrio, cholera, some pretty nasty things. That um, And some of the symptoms are gastroenteritis um, types of uh, illnesses, and sometimes it can be a little delayed. So, you know, the problem with that is trying to figure out where you got it from. So... Um, that's part of the, you know, the risk associated in, in trying to uh, determine, you know, where the illness came from because visitors to our beaches can often go in the water, swim, go off, eat shellfish, and then they're on to the next thing. So um, they don't always trace it back to the water quality. Okay. Well, another one of the highest visitation rates of any national park in the country, I think, is that is right here on our coast at Acadia National Park, um, there's a few towns that surround that park on our wonderful Mount Desert Island. Um, Jane Disney is here and has spent a long time working around the island and parts of Hancock County on environmental issues. And Jane, maybe you can give us an update of what's been going on, your participation in this program, and, and actually some recent changes in terms of the town's um, interests. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we've been looking at... Um water quality at Seal Harbor Beach with uh, students, teachers, and citizen volunteers uh, for quite some time now. Um, and the town of Mount Desert actually gave us a phone call when five kids got sick um, in Stanley Brook that uh, flows onto Seal Harbor Beach. These were five kids from a local YMCA camp who had uh, gastroenteritis as well as pink eye. When was this? This was in 2003. And so at this point... Um, we got involved with <clears throat> the Maine Healthy Beaches program, which meant uh, switching over to the Enterococcus um, indicator. And uh, we did find quite high counts in that brook and out on the beach that summer. And the town of Mount Desert decided that they wanted to get involved in some sort of a notification system. So really in 2004, the signs went up and, and advisories were posted when, when the counts would go up. And we didn't have any other reports of a swimming illness in 2004 or 2005. Um, and so I think the town was starting to feel like maybe things were under control. I don't know. But um, in March of uh, 2006, the selectmen decided to withdraw from the program and took the Maine Healthy Beaches sign off the beach. So although we continue to monitor um, the beach, the data isn't used to um, make beach management decisions. Okay. Well, maybe we'll dig back into that in, right. in a moment, perhaps. Um, 
And uh, our final guest we have not yet heard from is uh, Simone Cromwell from the uh, from the Miri program, and um, they're based in Blue Hill. And I, they're not formally part of this program, but they're they represent another um, avenue for getting this kind of uh, work done at a community-based level. And so we've invited her because of the close proximity to, to the radio station, a lot of listeners in the Blue Hill area, to talk a little bit about Mary and their involvement in the project. Simone? Well, Mary began a long-term watershed monitoring project in 2004. Um, this is the first year that we've been monitoring the, back, the beaches for the Enterococcus bacteria, which the other guests have talked about before. Um, and in early June of this year, we found really high levels of bacteria at the Town Park Beach. We monitor, monitor five other beaches as well, and although they had um, dips and spikes that you would expect after rainfall, the Town Park Beach's numbers remained high. Um, we followed the protocols outlined by the Maine Healthy Coastal Beaches Program um, because that was what was available. They, the town does not are not... Um, members of that program, but we do follow the protocols and we've shared all our data with the town managers and um, they have they have posted the beach right down there with the sign indicating that the levels are remaining high and it's been there since late June. Okay, great. All right, well we'll, we'll get a little in, into all of this detail a little bit more. You're tuned to WERU. Uh, the program called Talk of the Towns. Thanks so much for having your radio on this morning and, and listening to us. Uh, my name is Paul Anderson. I'm with the Maine Sea Grant Program, and I'm hosting the program. We'll be here until 11 o'clock, and we're talking about the issue of swimming beach safety, um, really on the coast, in our coastal beaches. Even though some of you may dip your toe in that chilly water and, and say, I'm not going in there, there is a lot of people who do recreate on our coast and swim in our beaches. And uh, so this program we're talking about today um, is happening along the coast all the way down to the New Hampshire border where we have a lot of swimming um, activity going on in, in the sandy beaches, but also up here. I think that there's some brave souls out there who do jump in the water once in a while. Uh, we hope you are uh, learning a little bit about the program. At about 10.30, after we get a little bit more background, we'll, we'll open up the phone lines and allow for you to join us if you'd like to make a call. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the risk to swimmers and that um, there could be some gastroenteritis, uh, earaches, pink eye was mentioned. Um, it's also possible that other uh, more severe viral and bacterial pathogens could be transmitted through contact. Uh, certain populations have higher risks than others for this kind of thing. Um, it's important then to understand how uh, swimmers, recreators, might learn about the status of beaches. And the, the Healthy Beaches program, as I understand it, has a fairly um, neat online tool for, for transmitting this. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, we do. We have uh, developed an online database for all the beach managers and um, entry of the data, both environmental and the lab analysis, uh, into that system, which can be uh, utilized by uh, data managers. And then that has a public interface, if you will, that gets transmitted to our website, which is, and I'll say this a few times, mainhealthybeaches.org. There's a wealth of information on that site, and if you click on the beach status portion, you will have a listing of the beaches and the conditions at that beach. You can also sort of drill in from a map of the coast to the site that you're um, interested in and the beaches that you're interested in, and you will 
come up with um, their actual monitoring sites, and then you can click on that to get to a page for a, a particular beach. And at that point, you can also find out what the data are for that beach. Uh, you can get the history of that data, the numbers for the intercocci bacteria, um, as well as the, the status, you know, the uh, open, advised, or closed uh, status history for that. So we have a um, but it's also um, dependent on the town or the state park to post that through the online database so that the public can get the correct and up-to-date information. And that's uh, also an educational opportunity for those beach managers to get that done in a timely way. Okay, so that, that's an online tool. And what happens on the beach in the communities? Um, let, let's hear what Lincolnville and Blue Hill have are doing now if they post something? What does that look like? Uh, in Lincolnville, we, uh, we would use the main Healthy Beaches signs that are provided by the program, and um, the sign says open in its format, and then there's an additional sign that's, that's added to and covering the open sign that says advisory, and if the beach were to be closed, that sign, the insert, would say closed. The advisory is what we do in Lincolnville, um, and it says that uh, swimming um, may be uh, Esperanza. What does that sign actually say? Well, it, um, it's a swimming health risk at this point in time. Right. And um, it's interesting because uh, there was one posted advisory this year, and when I had posted the advisory, there were three or four people in the water. And when I went to check um, after the weekend, um, the beach had opened up again, and there were more significant numbers. So I believe that it is a, an important tool to uh, advise the public. They can choose at that point to take that risk. Mm -hmm. So that, that's up. It sounds like it's up to the community to decide to put up an advisory sign or even a closure sign. It's a voluntary well, in, choice. Well, in Lincolnville's case, because we have agreed. Um, and our selectmen have agreed to participate in the program, there's certain things that we've agreed to do. Mm -hmm. And that means when the intercoxi is over 100, we have agreed in every case to post that beach for, for the time period that the levels are high. And this normally is another mm -hmm. test the next day that provides more information. Yes. Yeah, that's, that is part of the program, and that's part of the criteria of uh, be participating in the Maine Healthy Beaches program is that, you know, a decision has to be made. We also have a risk assessment matrix that is guidance to the program of the conditions at that site so that the town, um, you know, um, will... Uh, determine what those conditions are. Is there a, a combined sewer overflow there? Is there is there a history of high counts? Uh, a number of, of issues could uh, give guidance for um, you know the numbers of the bacteria levels, and also is this a chronic problem um, or is this a one-time spike? So there are various components that go into that decision-making process for putting up an advisory or closing a beach. So certain types of areas will be more vulnerable to um, exactly. pollution and right. therefore bad water quality problems. Of course, the problem here is that as little as a few years ago, we didn't really have baseline information. So this program is generating, you know, baseline knowledge too, so that our towns can can get a sense right. of what what their water quality has been. 
And and that's a that's a great point, Paul, because you know we need to know what the profile is for each site so that we can determine a more predictive model for uh, advisories and closures per site because. Um, we have a lag time with our bacteria indicator, with our analysis. Um, it's very, very important to, um, to know what the, uh, the conditions are and, and how it's going to react to rainfall. Okay. Now, I, again, a lot of our listeners are here in the Blue Hill area, and um, Simone has mentioned that um, the town of Blue Hill is not involved in the program, but that they had posted some f- form of advisory down in, the, in, the, in our Harbor Beach. How have you posted that or informed the public? Well, the um, town code enforcement officer and the selectmen are the ones who made the decision to put the posting up. Um, They use a sign that says, attention, swimming and water contact activities are not advised at this time. And that's from the Maine Healthy Coastal Beaches program. Um, We have a very small um, sign at the very bottom of that that says that the testing is done by Mary and that the bacterial levels remain high at this time. Okay. Is there any way through Miri to, uh, on a website or anything to, to get updates, or is it just um, purely at the beach at um, present? You can, you can get the levels at the center when you come down into, ta- into downtown Blue Hill, into the center. We'll have something available to tell people what the numbers are, and we have a, a fact sheet that discusses um, the Blue Hill Bay Bacteria Monitoring Program and what Enterococcus is and what the EPA methods are and it lists every all the information that you could want um, so that when you go down to the beach and you see that sign you know what you're seeing. Okay, great. Well that looks like a good reference material. Again, we'll say this a few times, but the website for the Healthy Beaches Program is MainHealthyBeaches.org. So one string, all one string, MainHealthyBeaches.org. O-R-G. I've been out to the website, and it's a very impressive um, uh, tool. And uh, perhaps some listeners out there are going to that now. You could be listening to us on <laughs> the web and even uh, taking a look at the MainHealthyBeaches.org website, and uh, uh, you might have some questions we can clarify for you. Yes, Jim. Yeah, and um, so when beaches um, are being monitored, like the ones on, on Mount Desert Island, but the town's aren't interested in participating in the program. That data does not get on the website. So we have data for Town Beach and Bar Harbor and Hulls Cove and Hadley Point where there's a lot of contact with the water by kayakers as well as uh, waders and swimmers. And we have uh, data on Seal Harbor Beach. But people would literally have to call the MDI Water Quality Coalition to find out um, what we're finding. We share the information with the town managers, and they have been... Um, responsive to the data, interested in where the bacteria might be coming from. And in the case of Bar Harbor, we've actually had sewage treatment plant personnel follow up on some of the high counts, but um, the public doesn't know what's going on. Um, It's uh, about 10.30, almost 10.30. We're going to take a break in just a moment. But first, um, Mel, I wonder if if, uh, you could comment a little bit on, uh, at least for New England, um, what the is there a trend going on in terms of beach quality? Understandably, these projects are probably new in other states in New England as well, and we're only just now getting a sense of baseline and understanding the vulnerabilities of some of our um, popular swimming areas. But how does Maine rate, rate with, with the program? Sure, Paul. Um, first of all, one of the main things I'd like to say is we're really thrilled um, and glad and how aggressively Maine has embarked on this program. 
Um, in, in the year 2000, in the whole state of Maine, there were only seven coastal beaches that were being monitored. And that number, as you've heard, is up now to uh, 46. Um, so there's a huge increase just in, in Maine alone in terms of the number of beaches that, mon- that are being monitored. Um, and regionally, in, in New England, in the five coastal states, the number of beaches that are being monitored and where public notification um, procedures are in place has almost doubled from a little over 400 in the year 2000 to almost 800 last year. Um, and that's a, that's a national trend as well. As a result of the Beach Act, um, nationally there are more than twice as many beaches being monitored around the country than there were five or six years ago. Um, and I think, Paul, in terms of any trends in, in water quality, um, it is hard, as Esperanza said, it's only been since the 2003 beach season that EPA has required states to report their beach monitoring data and, and submit it to a national database. So it's hard to sort of make comparisons from the last three beach seasons with beach seasons prior to that. Um, but what I would say that generally there has been a... Um, I think positive trend, and it's hard. We haven't normalized all this data for rainfall because we know that rainfall is a, is a key factor in uh, beach closures with stormwater runoff um, carrying a number of pollutants into our coastal waters. But across the region, if you go back to um, 2001, when we were monitoring maybe um, 450 beaches, there were 1,388 beach closure days. And just last year, with almost twice as many beaches being monitored, there were 798 beach closure days. So from 2001 to 2005, with twice as many beaches being monitored, there were fewer closures. Granted, it was a dry summer compared to some others, but if you looked at the years in between, um, we see a very slight uh, improvement trend, I guess is the way I'd put it. But I think it may be too early, really, to draw any um, really strong conclusions from that. Um, this year has been a relatively rainy year, and I think we're probably going to see a, a jump in these numbers. Um, but in general, the, the enhanced monitoring, I think, has largely been effective in eliminating a lot of the dry weather um, sources of bacteria that previously were clo- uh, causing closures during dry weather periods. We still have to deal with the rainfall. Right. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, After we come back after a break, we'll open up the phone lines for calls, and um, we're going to dig a little bit more into the community component of this program here in Maine anyway, and uh, and even uh, dig a little deeper into some of the technological advances. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM. Thanks for tuning in to your radio or perhaps even online at WERU.org. My name is Paul Anderson. I'm hosting Talk of the Towns this morning. Our topic is healthy swim beaches here on the coast. And we have several guests in the studio as well as one on the phone. Esperanza Stanshoff is here from the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant Programs. Jane Disney is with the Mount Desert Island Water Quality Coalition. Simone Cromwell is with the Marine Environmental Research Institute in Blue Hill. Jana Wood is uh, LPI CEO and other <laughs> roles from the town of Lincolnville here in Penobscot Bay. And on the phone we have Mel Cody, who's uh, the head of the Division of Ocean and Coastal Protection uh, at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Mel's on the phone from Boston, is that correct? That's yeah. right, Paul. Yeah. 
Well, thank you all for joining us here in the studio. I welcome listeners if you have questions for us um, in the next oh, 25 minutes or so that we have here on the line. You're welcome to give us a call. You can call toll-free 866-625-3, I'm sorry, 9378. I'll say that again. Toll-free is 866-625-9378. Locally, uh, we're in the Bucksport Exchange. It's 469 We're going, I, I want to think a little bit here and uh, just note that our state here in Maine, although there's some obligation to participate in the program, um, the the agency's role is is perhaps less than it might be in other states and um, it's my observation that that's fairly typical our state tends to do things somewhat differently and we try to engage communities as much as possible you'll note that that our guests here in the studio are all um, uh, participating really at a community level Esperanza maybe you can talk a little bit about how how that interface is happening and why we rely so much on our municipalities. And then and Jana may want to punctuate that, too. Yeah, well, in Maine, we have, you know, uh, 5,250 miles of coastline. And it is, our resources are very limited. Um, and we've been, I, I view this as a wonderful opportunity for collaboration. Um, it is a voluntary program, so there's a lot, but there are a lot of um, resources and expertise that is brought to the local level to work in partnership. And the state agencies, um, and in particular, I guess, uh, Department of Environmental Protection has really assisted at the uh, community level where through routine monitoring of our beach water quality, it has been identified that there are, you know, very high results of, uh, of intercoxi and um, there is a need for more in-depth uh, studies. Um, so our Maine Healthy Beaches staff um, with local um, officials and volunteers and you know staff at the local level and the state agency personnel have um, looked at doing survey work and special monitoring areas to get at the problems. Okay, but the general monitoring then becomes the community role. Exactly. How does that work, Jenna? Well, as um, health officer for the town and also Healthy Beaches manager um, and local plumbing inspector, I feel it's, a, it, it's important that my role be to, if problems are found, to search them out. Um, state plumbing code and health officer, um, it really sp stipulates that those are some of my roles. So at a local community, the local plumbing inspector should or could get involved um, at any local level when there was water quality issues that could be produced by um, malfunctioning septic systems, a non-point source pollution, um, various uh, additional um, possibly wildlife, maybe getting the wildlife biologist involved um, at the state level. But the questions sometimes have to come from the local level because we are really the recipients of the problem and we're also the recipients of the benefit. And I find that collaborating with Healthy Beaches and through our um, shoreline survey of Lincolnville Beach, the 70 properties, Jim Crowley from uh, uh, the Department of Environmental Protection was very helpful in helping to have that extra set of eyes that was educated uh, and teaching uh, the local persons. And Carrie Lindbergh was very helpful. She's associate to Esperanza in the Healthy Beaches program. And the first thing we did was just take a walkabout 
and uh, identify some of the problem areas and then seek more information about those problem areas and have found some dramatic results, uh, positive results, as a result of that work. It is sometimes a big bite, but I do believe that it was my role and my job responsibility to take that on. Great. I want to go to Jane and hear a little bit more about the, what happens on, in the field by the, what is, in a sense, volunteers who are helping to uh, collect the data. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. If you want to give a call and ask a question or chime into the discussion, you're welcome to. Locally, our number is 469-0500. So, Jane, this is a, it, there's a stewardship opportunity for citizens, whether right. they be students or, or, or folks that live along the coast, and you've been involved for many years in different types of volunteer programs. Maybe you can talk to the listeners about you know, who's participating and get a little more detail about what's been going on in your program. Well, I have to say that um, during the time that advisories were being posted on Seal Harbor Beach, residents got really concerned. And so we were hearing from people who wanted to see something change at the beach. And um, a, a nice contingent of people uh, met with us and talked about what could be done to track down pollution sources. And we talked to them about watershed surveys and shoreline surveys. And they actually funded such a project over the last year. Um, and so we hired an AmeriCorps uh, volunteer leader, Zach Steele, who set up um, a 210-property survey. And some of these residents uh, came uh, to the fore, and they served as volunteer surveyors and helped us look at what was going on on properties. And uh, the most glaring problem that we found in Seal Harbor was above-ground broken sewer lines on private properties. And that's like our number one recommendation to people in that community is that they get these things fixed. Um, at the town level, there's been conversation about an ordinance that would require a licensed plumbing inspector to look at these lines because they break every winter, from what I understand. And uh, that ordinance did not come to... Um, you know, the town meeting this year didn't get on the ward, and uh, I think people disagreed with the wording of it. But I think that this whole study, that this watershed survey report that we've put together has really brought it to people's attention that they have to make some decision about how to deal with broken sewer lines. They might be part of the problem at Seal Harbor Beach, but we won't know until people fix them. Now, you mentioned the study, and I have a copy here in mm -hmm. front of me. How can listeners... Uh, either get a copy mm -hmm. or maybe see something online or reach out to your program? It's called the Stanley Brook Watershed Survey Report, and it is on our website, which is uh, www.mdiwqc.org. But uh, we do have a limited number of hard copies for people who feel like they really would like to receive a copy, and our contact information is also on the website, and they can communicate with us that way. Okay, great. Now, as I understand it, uh, the, the statewide program that Esperanza runs, I work with her closely on a lot of different um, parts of her plan of work, and I'm aware that this program is fairly well saturated uh, in terms of her capacity and, and uh, her program's capacity to support uh, communities statewide. So I, I don't think we're recruiting new towns or beaches in that regard, but uh, I remind listeners that there's always an opportunity as a citizen to um, play a role in stewardship of our coast and get involved with 
things like water quality monitoring. Many, many people are probably birders and participate in the Audubon bird counts. Well, there's similar opportunities along our coast for participating in this kind of monitoring and other monitoring related to shellfishing areas and toxic phytoplankton. There's just a, a plethora of opportunities for you to learn more about our coast, and, and you can um, do that by contacting the Shore Stewards Program, which is an, an umbrella organization of organizations that, uh, that participate in um, uh, making those sorts of opportunities available to citizens. Yeah, um, yeah I just also wanted to say, Paul, that um, as far as the Maine Healthy Beaches program goes, we started out pretty much with all staff at the local level taking, um, you know, monitoring water quality. And oftentimes that means the firemen, the uh, lifeguards, uh, the parks and rec folks who run children's programs at the local level, and it's an add-on to their job. Um, sometimes that's very difficult to fit into the schedule. Sometimes they don't like that type of uh, opportunity to get in the field and, and get in the waves. Um, so we have really a, a trend in the program is to, to utilize our cadre of volunteer citizens. And we've also, I mean, not in all, areas, but um, I think, you know, the, the quality assurance, quality control through that, um, that change has improved. Okay. Jana, what, what does that uh, offer through MIRI for opportunities for some of the locals to get involved? I'm, I'm sorry, I, Simone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, um, MIRI does the water quality monitoring um, as part of its own organization, um, the information is passed on to the town, um, but the Marine Environmental Research Institute is always willing to take volunteers on its water quality missions. Um, we also do <coughs> phytoplankton monitoring as well. We do that um, once a week, and I'm actually going to be taking a volunteer out with me this afternoon to do that. Um, so there's many opportunities for volunteers to take part in, in the regular research that we're doing there. Okay, great. Well, as we wrap up the program later on, be sure we get contact information to listeners who want to contact Mary and any of your other organizations. I understand we have a caller on the line. Good morning. Do you have uh, a question? Hi there. Yeah, I'm calling from Bar Harbor. Um, I would like to uh, urge uh, listeners to support the Clean Cruise Ship Act, which further regulates overboard discharges from, from cruise ships. And they could call their representative or senators. This is a federal initiative? Uh, yes, I believe it is. Okay. Uh, is that all you wanted to say? Yes, it is. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening. Okay. Bye. The Clean Cruise Ship Act. I believe the state of Maine has something in the works on this, at least in Casco Bay. They they came up with an initiative to um, for no discharge. Um, I may be wrong. Mel, do you, do you know anything, the status of, of the act that the caller mentions? Um, we're we're tracking um, this federal legislation that the caller mentioned. Um, the initiative you mentioned for Casco Bay is, is uh, slightly different. The no discharge area designation that was just recently established for the Casco Bay area, and in fact it's the first of its kind in the state of Maine, um, is actually a provision in the Clean Water Act that allows states to apply to EPA um, for the right to basically designate areas as no discharge for all boats boat sewage and waste discharges. And in fact, there was an issue with the Casco Bay designation where the cruise ship uh, industry had sought out an exemption. Um, and I have to say that the governor, uh, Governor Baldacci, 
uh, made it very clear that in going forward with the no discharge area uh, application that he was not going to include that exemption, and we appreciate that. Um, in fact, Bob Varn, uh, the regional administrator here, has a very strong interest in seeing pretty much all of the New England coastline eventually designated no discharge, and we're well on our way with all New Hampshire and Rhode Island coastal waters. By the end of this year, all of Connecticut will be no discharge. Um, and with Casco Bay, the first area in Maine, we're, we're looking to work with the state to uh, increase the coverage of the no discharge uh, designation to other parts of the state. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification, and thanks to the caller for bringing up that very important point, because a lot of the work that we've been hearing about, we'll talk a bit about some of the mitigation activities, is land-based uh, sources of this kind of pollution, but we know that our coast is vulnerable to other sources of fecal pollution, and cruise ships certainly contribute. Jane, you're from over in that area. You've seen mm -hmm. a, a, an increase of these large vessels coming into your community. Right. What's the perspective over there on that? Well, um, we actually got uh, quite involved in the issue in 2004 when legislation was being proposed here in the state of Maine, and as of January 20, uh, January 2006, it's now um, okay for ships with advanced wastewater treatment systems to run them continuously in our harbors, and that's happening now in Bar Harbor. Um, so starting in 2004, actually, and continuing up Till this time, we've been monitoring around the cruise ships for Enercaucus. And we had a couple of um, interesting incidents uh, in 2004, but we were able to address those. And right now, things are looking really good around the cruise ships. So we also have a report on, on the cruise ships uh, on our website. And um, so the cruise uh, industry has actually supported this citizen work, and, they, and it was in the paper yesterday, actually, that we received some funding to continue looking around the ships at the impacts that these effluents might have in our harbors. Huh. Well, that's a nice partnership, isn't it? Uh, we have a few more minutes and could take a uh, call or two. If you're interested in joining the discussion, you can call us at 469-0500 locally. Or if you're out of our area, there's a toll-free number, 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. I wonder if we can talk a little bit about what happens after towns, after these programs find pollution problems, and and Jana described a little bit of uh, some of the survey work. I guess is the word that was used to to um, do that. But um, what what happens next? You then identify problems, and how do they go away? Well, the problems that we found at Lincolnville Beach were primarily uh, a result of malfunctioning septic systems and uh, some outfalls that had some contaminants um, in the in the actual um, outfall. And um, as local plumbing inspector, I addressed these problems um, with the private property owners, letting them know through um, either dye testing or um, actual on-site observation that the septic system that they were now they were now pumping their sewage sewage into was pumping sewage into the stream hmm. and it made it very obvious that there was a something that needed to be remediated so at this particular point in time the six problems that we identified five have been fully remediated there's one uh, problem that we're waiting for um, the uh, small community grant program to fund so that's in the in the works for this fall so by the time this, this next season, which would be 2007, uh, we should have remediated the direct 
outfalls of uh, human pollutants into the Frohawk Brook area that would have contaminated potentially the Lincolnville Beach swimming area. Okay, great. The Small Community Grant Program is state money. That, that's our DEP, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And because this is a, a high priority in our area, we've put that system to be re, re, remediated to the top of the list of those participants. Okay. And in Blue Hill, Simone, what is, what is, what's the town thinking about in terms of their inner harbor problems and, and trying to track down uh, and find solutions? Well, uh, this is a brand new problem for them. Uh, we've been monitoring for a couple of years, but this is the first year we've actually monitored for Enterococcus, and the problem just started in early June, or actually late June. Um, so they have had, you know, just a few weeks to sort of figure out what to do from now. Um, what we have had, though, is a great deal of communication with them and cooperation. The code enforcement officer of our town and the wastewater treatment plant manager have gone together to look at some suspect septic systems. Um, although they haven't found anything yet, they are on their way to, you know, knocking on doors and flushing dye tablets and doing whatever needs to be done to find the problem. Okay. I guess that brings it all home to us, doesn't it? <laughs> we community members who live on the coast contribute to this problem, and hopefully we have structures in place to help uh, deal with our um, our sewage and our animal waste and so forth to keep this vulnerability uh, down and keep the risk down. Um, we're getting to the end of our program, Talk of the Towns, but uh, I think the another topic I hope to touch on a little bit was some of the technological advances that um, either the programs are using now in terms of monitoring and indicators and some of the laboratory work. Um, Esperanza, maybe you can start that discussion, some of the limitations that this indicator um, just are, are part of using this system and then where we might be seeing this go. Right. Well, um, our, using indicator, you know, fecal bacteria indicators, um, there's a, a tremendous lag time. Um, it's a six-hour holding time from the time that you take the sample to the time that it should be going in the incubator for analysis, and then 24 hours for incubation. So, so there there is a lag time here, and by the time, you know, it could be 32 hours before you get results. Um, well, you know, that's that's problematic. However, um, what I was alluding to earlier is that we're trying to get a profile of the conditions and so forth. So that's one of the issues that we have, and there are some uh, things on the horizon, and, and Mel may want to speak to this more, but uh, one of the technological advances um, is this molecular biology um, for rapid methodology for um, it's, you know, within two hours you could get, two to three hours you could get results. And it's um, a polymerase chain reaction, or PCR. It's a fast and inexpensive technique um, and it's so um, touted as one of the most, uh, you know, important scientific advances in molecular biology that um, the creator, Mullis, uh, was awarded the Nobel Prize for this. So this is really um, a great thing, and EPA Region 1 is developing that technology, and we're very hopeful to pilot it next year. Mel, can you comment on, on that and where this I, might I be going? I think Esperanza um, hit it. Uh, covered that quite well, and all I would say is that um, we are very much involved in trying to advance uh, the technology, uh, advance the methodology, so that we don't have this issue of, of not having results from the monitoring for 24 to, to 36 hours. That's just not acceptable. We really need to get to a point where the lifeguard or whoever's collecting the sample can go out 
first thing in the morning, and we have results later that morning so that we can ensure that the swimmers have the most up-to-date information about the, the uh, water quality and, and, uh, and the health, uh, potential health risk. Um, and here at EPA Region 1, we are involved in um, some pilot projects. Um, in fact, we'll be work we've targeted Wollaston Beach, uh, one of the real uh, uh, popular beaches in Boston Harbor. Um, later this summer, actually, they'll be going out to do some monitoring and are going to be working with the Mass Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection and the University of Massachusetts to, uh, to run several different um, analytical procedures to try to fine-tune these faster, more responsive um, techniques that Esperanza talked about. Can I also um, talk about a little bit about the field work that's going on for um, detecting uh, pollution um, sources? That's a very expen expensive technique to do certain types of microbial source tracking, but we're looking at doing optical brightener studies with a, a new fluorometer or field, handheld field um, instrument that, that actually detects laundry detergents and dishwashing detergents and so forth, and it fluoresces when exposed to certain ultraviolet light. And um, so this will be able to tell us if this is a human uh, origin, huh. and that will help to determine where this is coming from, hopefully. So the assumption that people are putting laundry detergent through their washing machine into their septic system, if it's leaking, we may be able to tell that way. Right, and also toilet paper often has optical brighteners in it, too. So. Oh. Yeah, uh, Paul, if I could chime in on that. I'm glad Esperanza mentioned that because actually we'll, uh, we'll have uh, EPA staff from our laboratory in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, up in Kennebunkport next week um, to conduct some of that optical brightener testing, uh, Esperanza described, um, to look at some of the problems affecting Goose Rocks Beach. So we're very pleased to be able to assist in larger effort that the town is undertaking with support from the state. Great. We're about out of time, and we'll, we'll give a chance for our guests to make a final comment um, and, and uh, remind you how the, you, you listeners may get involved in their programs. Thanks for tuning to Talk of the Town. Simone, um, thank you for being here. Do you have a closing comment you might want to make? Sure. Um, thanks so much for having us. Um, I am from the Marine Environmental Research Institute. We're a nonprofit organization dedicated to the protection of human health and the environment through research and education, and we welcome everyone to come down to the center in Blue Hill or to log on at maryresearch.org. Okay, maryresearch.org, Mary, M-E-R-I. And Jane Disney from Mount Desert Island. You raised your hand. You have time yes. for, for Well, I just wanted to comment that I think that one of the uh, beautiful things about the Maine Healthy Beaches program is that it's really raised awareness for everybody uh, who's been involved about uh, what they can do uh, to make a difference in their own watershed. And so when we did this 210 property survey, when we got to some households, people had already made changes. They knew we were monitoring and they knew we were coming. And they suspected that what they were doing might be contributing to pollution on the beach. So there were there was one household that had diverted their um, gray water out to the Stanley Brook, and it was fixed before we got there. So I think that there's stuff people can do. They don't have to wait for Good. the data. And um, if you want to keep track of what, what we're doing at the Water Quality Coalition, again, you can uh, find out more at www.mdiwqc.org. mdiwqc.org. Jana? Uh, yes, I, I'm very um, happy to be here as well, and um, I think the most important thing at the local level is that uh, 
the town officials need to be involved and need to be aware, and that really is the crux of, of um, what happened for us. Great. Thank you for having me. Um, I think we've come a long way with this program, and I just want to thank all of the uh, local level uh, staff and volunteers for participating with us in this venture. Okay. I want to thank my studio guests and Mel. Thank you for being out there on the phone. Appreciate your, your presence from US EPA. Thank you, Paul. Glad, to, glad that I could join you. Okay. Thank you for, for listening, and uh, tune in again to Talk of the Towns um, with Ron Beard. And this is WERU-FM in Blue Hill, 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor.